Hi, and welcome to Talking Startups at NYU. I'm your host, Giovanni Fume. This is going to be a series of conversations I have with entrepreneurs from across our university, whether they be alum, students, or professors. And I really want to look at the human aspect of entrepreneurship. I really want to dig into how behind any new startup is a display of the full human emotional spectrum because of the roller coaster like nature of such an endeavor. My guest today is Kanal Mehta, and he's a venture associate here at the NYU Entrepreneurial Institute. He's also an author, having written a book called Disruptors, where he interviews a lot of very famous entrepreneurs. And we're going to talk about that definitely in our conversation. Uh, I really enjoy Kanal because I think he's someone who has an interesting perspective on the ecosystem of entrepreneurship because he started his own business, he's worked as a venture capitalist, and he's also helped young entrepreneurs grow more, let's say, realistic about what it entails to start a business. And actually, that's something we focus a lot on this conversation, and I think something that doesn't get discussed enough, which is it's very hard to start a business and very time-consuming. And if you make it, A, it's pretty unlikely, and B, there's going to be a lot of hard work and a lot of failures along the way. And hence why in the intro, I refer to this as a roller coaster ride, because for every peaks, there are a lot of valleys. So I hope you enjoy this conversation. I hope it gives you some perspective on what the entrepreneurial journey is like and why it can be such a meaningful, but also potentially challenging experience. I hope you enjoy the show. Hi, Kunal. Thank you for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure being here. So uh, tell us a little bit about what you do here at NYU. I'm currently managing the technology investments for the NYU Innovation Venture Fund, and that sits under the Entrepreneurial Institute. I believe you had Frank Romolowski as a guest. I did, yeah. Earlier in the year. Um, so the Innovation Venture Fund sits under that center. We sit in the Leslie E. Lab. And what we're doing is, uh, as part of my role, we're investing in NYU faculty, researcher, PhD, and postdoc uh, startup ventures at the seed stage. And we are currently making active investments in helping seed founders, no matter what stage they're at, come through the spectrum at the Entrepreneurial Institute and eventually, hopefully, into the venture fund portfolio as well. What do you think, in the context of a university, can an entrepreneurial institute bring to a student? Can it teach them how to be a better entrepreneur, or is it more of an infrastructure network kind of resources? I think it's a little bit of both. It might be a little bit arrogant sometimes to say that we can teach entrepreneurship. Yeah. Because there's so many different problems, so many different industries that they're trying to focus on. So I can't pretend to know the best things to do in agriculture technology. What I can do is give, what we can do is give them the best resources to help them understand what's going on in that industry. Um, and then one thing that usually goes off the wayside with founders when they're looking at starting their company is they might think of one stream of thought. And one thing that I'm always saying is that a founder, when they're operating with limited resources, uh, and and sometimes limited experience have to tackle the technology development, the marketing, the the branding of the platform, the uh, the legal aspects, tackling the business model, understanding what the customers want. So there's so many different streams that they have to focus on, and one to three founders sometimes have a challenge doing that. So I think what we can do as an entrepreneurial institute is a give them as much resources and training and mentors and access the network and ecosystems like you mentioned to help make that easier. So their ability to scale quickly and understand what their customer wants 
as they move along the spectrum, also provide them with more refined skills with, for example, how do you manage um, your prototyping in InVision? How do you teach them Facebook marketing to be more effective in hitting all, hitting all sides of the marketing funnel? So we get more and more specific through a program that's run through the Entrepreneur Institute called the Startup School. Um, and then for later stage companies that most of them have touched us, the ones that we've invested in, we will give them the financial resources as well and then bring them out to the broader community. Now you work in the world of entrepreneurship and startups, but it wasn't always like that. Can you kind of tell us what you did when you first graduated from NYU? Sure. I graduated in, I've had a little bit of an untraditional path uh, from graduating in Stern in 2011. I had worked at JP Morgan for four years while I was here as part of a smart start program. So it was during the recession, seeing some interesting times while I was at NYU spent another year in equity derivatives trading after graduating, but realized it wasn't what uh, I was meant to be doing. I wasn't very excited about the work, and I could see technology really replacing a lot of the jobs of the equity traders that I was working alongside with. Um, and I wanted to always be, personally, I was always more inclined towards being on the entrepreneurship side and also getting caught up in the buzz that was going on around startups. I wanted to see what all the hype was about. But at the time, I think it was 2012, people were mostly talking about the big successes. And we were hearing that in the press and it was coming off the Facebook IPO and everybody felt that entrepreneurship was this new hot thing. And not many people were giving a really realistic account of what goes on and the challenges and the hardships that many founders face. So as I set out to try to build my first company, I realized that it's, it's very tough and wanted to speak to founders that had done it and why they left the positions of security in corporate jobs or why they were going out there and starting their ventures and the failures they were facing. So spoke to about 50 different founders um, and published a book called Disruptors uh, back in 2013. These founders were companies behind companies that have now gone on to do very well. Uh, LearnVest, Betterment, Foursquare, Pinterest, Charity Water, Dwala, uh, and a host of others. And these founders shared some very interesting stories about their early days. And then the book ended up doing well, was on a book tour for a while, and stumbled on a venture that I started working on called Unfold. We built that for about a year, raised a small round of financing, kind of saw those fits and starts that many startups see. Um, but it, ultimately, we had to sunset the operation. And I, through these learnings of being on the operating side for a while, like high-growth startups like Charity Water, operating my own startup, pitching to investors and working with them frequently, Frank had always given me pretty good advice while I was working on Unfold. And he mentioned that this role was opening up at uh, the NYU Innovation Venture Fund. I threw in an application and been here for about the past year. You mentioned the book Disruptors. There's a few things I'd like to, to talk about. I know one of the big concepts in the book is the importance of failure. Sure. So with failure, the, the idea behind me talking about failure isn't to create some sort of uh, allure and sexiness around failure, mm. that it's a good thing to fail and we'll learn from it and the other cliched comments that we always hear. It was more to say, how can a young entrepreneur through understand that this path to entrepreneurship is not that overnight success story that we've been hearing about. It's not going to take them three months and all of a sudden they'll be sitting on a billion dollar valuation. It's saying, I'm going to commit to a problem for the next three to five years because that's how long entrepreneurship actually might take in some, some cases. And there will be incremental failures along the way, but how do you get smarter and wiser as an entrepreneur through all those to be able to bounce back quicker? So 
one example that I'll give you is Vin McConti from Yipit. Uh, Yipit is another daily deal site, and Vin McConti was one of the first people that I met for Disruptors. Decided he'd want to work at, I believe he was working at Blackstone. He was inspired when he met Mark Zuckerberg, decided to leave his full-time job, work on a company, and over three years he had, I think, about nine failed prototypes or ventures. And by failure, he just didn't get the customer engagement that he was looking for. But to build the first prototype, he taught himself how to code, and to build the first prototype, it took him nine months. By the time he built his 10th company, which is the one that ended up becoming Yipit, which is now a profitable company several, seven years later after, is it took him, I believe, three weeks to understand what the customer need was and to put it out there in the market. So those failures were teaching him and propelling him forward. So what I wanted to do was try to change this perception of failure and the quick overnight success stories through disruptors by showing anecdotes of people behind larger companies. Like what did Scott Harrison face in the early days? What did John Stein face? Like the failures and the sacrifices that they had to make in order to pursue a larger venture to inspire the next generation to say, it's okay to not take that well-paying job, but to actually pursue something I care about for several years. How did you develop the relationship with all these people? And how did you create the trust necessary for them to, to open up about all this? Yeah, so this is one thing that we, we say a lot at the Entrepreneur Institute is that you can really use that student card as much as possible. The idea that I was, it was a few years out of college at that point, two years out. Uh, but when you're approaching some of these people, especially these four founders, they are very willing to help out and kind of send the elevator down to the next generation of founders. Um, they've been through the struggles, they've been humbled by the struggles, and they're very willing to talk and hear about them and share their stories. So it, I actually stumbled on Vin McConti at a, a networking session. Um, it was actually called Wall Street to Silicon Alley. It was more people that were trying to escape Wall Street to <laughs> go into startups. I told him about the idea. He was excited about it. And then from there, he introduced me to a few of his friends. They introduced me to more. They were all passionate about the idea of trying to change the story and talk about what it actually takes to build these companies. And they were all extremely gracious, like spending hour and a half to three hours sitting over lunch, dinner, and actually giving me the research that I needed um, to get the book together. And then when the book was done, they actually helped me promote it as well. It's been a group that's really helped me put the book together. And But I've one thing that we always tell these founders is that if you really want to put something together, I know starting a venture and writing a book are two very different things, but you can really reach out to aggressively to a lot of people and make that happen. So I'm writing my next one now on venture capitalists and it's the same story again. It's finding so people like Frank and people like that who will help the next generation of aspiring venture capitalists to write and, and talk about these things too. For me, the time I've spent with entrepreneurs, it's becoming clearer and clearer that it's all about execution. Well, at least 90% about execution. And I'm kind of in the same boat as you, right? I produce content around the entrepreneurial world do you feel like through this potentially intellectualized approach to entrepreneurship we can deliver useful and actionable value to entrepreneurs or are we more addressing other people who would like an insight into entrepreneurship i think it's both i mean i i think it's and i think you're doing a really good job listening to some of the other podcasts and they're awesome <laughs> i think I think it's a little bit of both because you listen to some of the big podcasts that are out there, like how I built this and you listen to this podcast that we're listening to now. And we, we can read some of the books that have been written on this and it helps to actually see what other founders have been through. It helps give them a roadmap of this is where I am in the journey. What do I need to look for next? 
Um, but it's not the entire picture. Mm. I think you can read and you can listen and we can inform that generation that's interested in entrepreneurship. But there are many people that will always stay on the sidelines. Um, and then there are some that will make the jump and try to do it themselves. And for those people that make the jump, we can give them all the resources and we can help them as much as we can. But I don't think it's seeing it up to 90%. I think there's a very, very large element of this where it takes and requires. You were talking about this earlier, the nature versus nurture piece of entrepreneurship. Can it be taught? Can entrepreneurs be trained? And I think there is a certain element, especially with talking to these 50 different founders for disruptors and then now meeting all these founders and the ones that stand out at the Entrepreneurial Institute or the ones that stand out in New York with other venture funds is the ones that have that resilience, that are not just doing it for a year as a side project or something to boost their resume. It's the ones that are actually stumbling on something that's so dramatic and something so interesting to them that they don't mind taking those risks. So we can inform and we can give them the resources and we can do everything we can to support them 75 to 80% of the way. But at some point, they have to really commit to the journey and be willing to take those resources and use them on their own paths. And I think it's it's really valuable what we're doing, but I think there is an element that the founder has to take on their own. So I think that's interesting because part of the reason why I wanted to start to do this show is not just to provide information to people for why they should do it, but also provide information to people for why they shouldn't do it. Mm-hmm. Um I've had like brief experience with entrepreneurship more out of curiosity than really any interest in like creating a profitable venture. But I was just doing this. I thought to myself, I should see what it's like to to work in startups. So I've worked for a few startups, some bigger than others. And it seems to me that really commitment to an idea or to a purpose is really the main difficulty. And it's, and I think it's tricky because you can feel committed to something at the moment but there's no real way of knowing if that commitment is going to last one year or the necessary five or six or seven years and it seems like at that very beginning place the commitment that's going to last one year or five do you have or have you seen any way for for someone to really assess whether the idea they're about to pursue is something that they want to dedicate themselves wholeheartedly for a long exterior extended and difficult period of time yeah that's and that's actually a really interesting question because it's something you're right there's some people that might not go into entrepreneurship for the right reasons if they're going to land on the cover of forbes or become a billionaire valid reasons but maybe not the right ones they won't maybe sustain through the hard times i think it's important to look at this the same way you would train for a career in in athletics or you train to be a doctor or train to be a lawyer or train to be a banker like that is to become a doctor it's a 10-year cycle until mm. you're finally a doctor and the checkpoints that you have there are you do a biology major and then you go into med school residency fellowships and then you're a doctor i think look at entrepreneurship the same way so how can you structure this in three-month periods what do you need to do in order to test and validate an idea so the one big thing that we focus on is customer discovery so are you you have an idea, so the first step that you should do is go and figure out exactly who are you solving this problem for, and is it a real problem in their head? And as you're just doing 10 interviews per week, are you excited about talking about this with them? Mm. So I am always have new ideas, and this is something I'm always going through as well. Are you excited about talking about it with them, and are you excited about solving this problem that they're seeing? Are you seeing that it's a real problem for them? That's one checkpoint. So after two months of doing that, three months, do you have enough data and enough information to say, I'm willing to take this to the next six? 
and then you plan the next six accordingly. Do you put some initial prototype in their hands and see what they feel and how they interact with it? Is it solving that problem? And you keep seeing it as that as opposed to came on a problem, paid a developer, built something, launched it in the market, and then saw a few either went bust or <laughs> positive, Yeah. right? Which is a three-week cycle, which can work, and you can do that 100 times, but chances of succeeding are probably pretty slim. Mm-hmm. If I was talking with Frank when he came, and he said that at the Institute, they can teach you how to be a more able founder, but they can't teach you how to be Mark Zuckerberg. And in this discussion about whether these things are things that can be learned or not, it's a difficult conversation to have, right? Because you don't want to dissuade anyone from doing it or you don't want to put any limitations on anyone by saying, well, if you weren't born with this entrepreneurial DNA, then you're not going to be able to succeed. At the same time, there is such a gap that I think people don't realize between Mark Zuckerberg and a person starting a business. Like that, It's like to get there is so incredibly hard and so unlikely and I, I, I think, you know, that void is kind of by the media smushed into a couple glamorous right. years. Right. Yeah, 100%. And I, but I also think you're absolutely right that the, the general popular culture around entrepreneurship and startups, and I think some many investors, and, and Frank also talking about it in that way too, is helping shift the conversation in direction that we – but our goal isn't – I mean, we would love to create the next Mark Zuckerberg. We would love to create the next Elon Musk. And – it would be amazing if they graduated from NYU, and there have been great founders that have come out of here. But what's also interesting, and I think it's it's the conversation needs to shift in terms of how we're defining that success, because I think it's still very valuable for someone to be able to create a business from nothing, understand what a customer wanted, build something that actually is used. So for us, when we down when we built the app, every single download for us meant mm. that we were building something that people wanted. And to see their engagement and see how active they were being on it. If that drops off, then you know they haven't built something valuable. But if that continues to pick up, it's something so valuable that you've put out there in mm. the world and people are engaging with it. And again, I'm mentioning him again. Matt Hartman from Betaworks was saying that I, the initial product that he built and put out in the world was enough for him to pay his rent. And it was enough to pay a couple of employees and create a small company out of. That's really impressive. Yeah. And probably to, you know, maybe doing what you love even if what you love, you know, only makes enough for you to rent your small apartment is maybe more worthy than being the next Mark Zuckerberg if you're unhappy as Mark Zuckerberg. Like, that's not the only standard of happiness. Right. And, that's, and that, that goes across industries as well. What we're trying to encourage is we also, what I made the mistake of doing earlier was to shame people that were going in other careers and not saying that they want to go into entrepreneurship. We want to help the ones that want to be founders for the right reasons and all the power to the ones that don't because entrepreneurship and startups and venture capital is is sexy in this generation the way Wall Street was sexy in a former generation and next generation will be the the generation the engineers uh, uh, something else but I these industries whatever person's calling is whatever an NYU student's calling is whatever they feel attracted to, whether that is entrepreneurship, then we're there to help them. Mm -hmm. Uh, But as long as they're doing it for the right reasons and they're committed to it. Well, thanks so much for your time. This was a really great conversation. I appreciate you coming. Yeah, I appreciate you having me. Thank you.